Many people, not only in the UK, uh, but around the world, uh, are grieving uh, at this point uh, for the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth. And not just because of the position she held, uh, not just because of the length of time for which she held it, but because of the way she conducted herself uh, throughout her reign, with dignity, humility, and devotion to duty. And what was so remarkable about her was not just her rule, but her character. And that is only brought into sharper focus when we compare her character with the scandal-infested, self-promoting, and arrogant behavior of so many other world leaders today. In the passage we're about to look at, uh, we're going to get some insights into the character of the Apostle Paul, uh, as well as of his opponents, the Judaizers. And we'll see their motivation, uh, the real reason why the Judaizers are championing their circumcision cause in verses 12 and 13, and we'll see Paul's boast in verse 14, his perspective in verse 15, his prayer in verse 16, and his scars in verse 17. And as we do that, we will see more clearly what faithful gospel ministry looks like in contrast to that of the Judaizers. So I ask you to pray with me that God would help us as we look at this passage together. Father, we pray that you help us now by your spirit as we look at your word together. We pray that your spirit will open our eyes to see and trust the Lord Jesus uh, and it'd be changing our hearts to love him and love others more. Uh, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout the book of Galatians so far, Paul has been expounding the gospel and its implications. Uh, right from the beginning of the letter, he's been telling us that the gospel had come from the risen Jesus himself, who had appointed him. This Lord Jesus according to the gospel, whom God the Father had raised from the dead, had given himself for us. He had died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin on our behalf. And he did this to deliver us from this present evil age and to bring us into his eternal kingdom. It is the gospel of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And the way to respond to that gospel is to trust in the promises of God that are, that are in this gospel. When we believe the gospel, we're united with Christ. Our sins are his and he bore them for us on the cross, paying the penalty for us. And his righteousness is ours. So God, the righteous, just judge, can say to us that you are righteous because of Jesus. We are justified, declared righteous. And because we receive this by trusting in Jesus, you can say that we are justified by faith. Like Abraham, we believe God and he counts it to us as righteousness. And not only that, he gives us his spirit. And the spirit enables us to know God as our father. The spirit leads us to holiness and godliness to produce the fruit of love in our lives, both individually and together. And to reject sin and evil. That is the way of blessing. That is the way of freedom. That is the way of the Spirit. That is how the Christian life is meant to be. Faith in Christ alone for salvation and then transformation by the Spirit away from sin to the way of love 
But now there were people who wanted to divert the Galatians from this path. We called them, you remember, Judaizers, because they are putting pressure on the Gentile believers to become Jews. They said the Galatians must be circumcised, must come under the law of Moses in order to be saved. And Paul said, no, if you do that, you have to keep the whole law to be saved. And if you do that, you're going back to doing instead of believing to be saved. If you seek to be justified by observing the law, you will not be justified because you won't keep the law perfectly and the law will condemn you. That is the way of slavery. Because if you'll be constantly trying to obey the law, you'll never escape the curse the law brings because you'll never be able to do it. Jesus died to rescue you from that. Why do you want to go back? And so interspersed with his apostolic theological teaching, Paul has been fervently and passionately begging and cajoling them not to give in because he knows if they do, they would have fallen away from Christ and his salvation. It was really a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. And that is what we see in this letter. Now, you know how sometimes you get a formal printed letter from someone? And then after they sign it, they write a, a personal note down the bottom in their own handwriting. You got letters like that before? Well, Paul has nearly finished. In fact, he's actually finished the main part of his letter. He has dictated it. His scribe has written it down nicely. But now in the end, at the end, he adds a scribble in his own handwriting. Starts in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. As he writes his last bit himself, he's going to move from theological matters to, to, to matters of the heart. Uh, with his own hand, in a very personal kind of way, he's going to reveal his heart and the heart of the Judaizers. Uh, before we look at it, let me say, we must be very careful about imitating him at this point. Uh, be very cautious whenever you're in a dispute with someone else uh, of presuming to be able to see what's in their heart. Uh, truth be known, it's very hard la, to see someone else's heart. In fact, it's, it's hard to see our own. But Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this well might be a, a spiritual insight given by the Spirit to the Apostle. All right, we might easily get it wrong, but since this is Spirit-inspired, we know the Apostle got it right. And what does Paul say about what drives the Judaizers? Well, in verse 12, they want to make a good showing. Or literally, they want to have a good face. Um... They, they, they want to look good, verse 12, in the flesh. And I think there's a bit of a pun going on here. Because on the one hand, we know the flesh is our nature, which is at the moment sinful nature. Uh, but the flesh can also represent that, that bit of skin that is removed during circumcision. And it's a fleshly thing that these guys want to look good. And the thing they want to look good about is about cutting off those bits of flesh. And why? Well, the first reason is there in verse 12. So that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, if the Galatians were circumcised, then the Judaizers can say to the other Jews, you see, you see, Christians are Jews as well. You don't need to persecute us. We're just like you. Yes, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but bottom line, we and all the converts who are coming in from the nations, and we are Jews. We are obeying the law of Moses. All right, the Judaizers, who, who do they want to look good to? They want to look good to the Jews who are persecuting the believers. And they want to do that to avoid persecution. Now, it's not wrong in and of itself to want to avoid persecution. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, if they persecute you one place, you flee, you go to the next place. We don't ask to be persecuted. 
But God has entrusted us with a gospel message. Paul said back in uh, chapter 1 verse 8, Even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Uh, because when, when, when false teachers distort the gospel, they change the gospel, they're actually leading people away from salvation. They deserve to be eternally condemned. If there's a choice between being unfaithful to the gospel and being persecuted, it's always better to choose persecution. Don't change the gospel. Around the world today, uh, many Christian missionaries are an advocate of something called contextualization. Now, some contextualization is necessary because people accidentally input their own culture into church and they think that's part of the gospel, and it isn't. And so it's healthy to separate the eternal gospel from the cultural trappings that it might come in. But some people take it too far. Not only do they change the wrappings, but they change the message itself. They want to make it more attractive to the people in the culture they're trying to reach. They want to make it more acceptable to the people in the culture they're trying to reach. And they want to protect their converts from persecution in the culture they are trying to reach. But if by doing so they are willing to water down the gospel, then they have fallen into the same trap as the Judaizers. Don't change the gospel to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. But there's another reason why these Judaizers do what they do. Uh, Paul says in verse 13, even those who are circumcised don't keep the law, and they can't keep it properly from the heart, but it doesn't stop them from claiming to keep the law and wanting to force others too. And the reason, verse 13, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, they want to take glory in how many foreskins they got cut off. They, were not, they want bragging rights about how many Gentiles they made into Jews. Right, so this is not about holiness, it's not about love, it's about numbers. It's about pride. It's about Judaizers in Galatia showing off to Judaizers in Jerusalem. Their boast is in their ministry reputation. And that is false motivation for any ministry. Now, we need to be careful here because it doesn't mean there's no place for God-glorifying reporting. Right, Paul himself will say in Romans 15 that he will speak about Christ is accomplished through him and bringing the gospel across the Roman Empire. But it does mean that we don't do ministry in order to show off. We mustn't do ministry to, to build a reputation. We mustn't find our boast in numbers or activities. And we must never say, oh, St. Mary's, or whatever church you come from, if you're a visitor here, oh, St. Mary's is the best church because we are better than other churches in this and this. No lah. For in every area that we are doing well by God's grace, and only by God's grace, there'll be a whole number of other areas where we can improve. We rejoice and thank God when we see progress. We pray when we see needs. But we must not make this about us, whether as individuals or as a church, when really it's about Jesus. Let us not boast in our ministry. And let us never, never, never change the message and be unfaithful to the gospel so that we have more to show off about. Changing the message is always a temptation for preachers and leaders. Uh, there are many who want to water down the gospel, maybe in a different way than the Judaizers, but, but they want to tell people what people want to hear. 
so that more people will come to their church or listen to their podcasts or buy their books so they can boast about how successful they've been. Don't listen to people like that. But it's not just leaders and preachers. Every one of us needs to be careful. Right? Don't change the gospel message to something else when you're sharing it with your family and friends. Tell them la, about Jesus who died and rose again. Tell them about the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that he offers to those who trust in him. Lovingly and truthfully share the genuine gospel. Don't change it, even if you think they will reject it. See, brothers and sisters, the Judaizers wanted to look good. They wanted to avoid persecution. They wanted to boast in the Galatians. And they twisted the message as a result. If you want to guard the gospel, don't just guard the gospel. Guard your heart. But what about the Apostle Paul? What does he tell us when he shares his heart with us? What can we learn from him about being faithful ministers of the gospel? Well, to start with, remember how the Judaizers wanted to boast in the flesh of the Galatians? Well, Paul tells us about his boast in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, the cross there is shorthand for the death of Jesus on the cross in our place. Jesus died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins on our behalf. He, he, he redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us so that we can be justified by faith. You know, if Christ loved me and gave himself for me, how can I be so unfaithful to him as to change his gospel to avoid persecution or to make others think better of me? No, 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 cannot. If you... If we really get the cross, then we will know it is so big, so good, so momentous, so life-changing that actually everything else pales into insignificance. That is the only thing worth ultimately glorifying in. It's the only thing worth having at the very center of our affections. The cross saves you and it saves me for all eternity because our sins are forgiven through the death of Jesus in our place. There is nothing more important in life, mine or yours. You can have all the recognition in the world, all the comforts, all the admiration of like-minded people, but at the end of it, you're unsaved, then you've got nothing. And if you have any of those things, but you know the magnitude of the cross, you will not find your glory in them either. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. And so in the cross, Paul says, the world has been crucified to me, end of verse 14, and I to the world. And that must be true of us as well, isn't it? We no longer live to serve and please the world. We no longer live to impress the world. We no longer see the things of the world as the things that we find our boast in. If we have been crucified to the world, we don't need to worry about the world, what the world thinks of us personally. We know the world and everything in it will pass away. As far as we are concerned, it's already happened. His dying crimson like a robe spreads all his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe 
is dead to me. Now, of course, this is personal, huh? not absolute, right? Because, of course, we still need to think about how our actions affect other people. We still need to think about what we do and how what we do commends the gospel or otherwise. But as far as our own personal glory is concerned, there's nothing to be concerned about. Our glory is in the cross, not the opinion of the world. And we must certainly never, like the Judaizers, nullify the cross of Christ to make the gospel more palatable to the world. Now, as Paul shares his heart, he also shares his perspective, and in particular, his perspective on circumcision. Have a look at what he says in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. You think, hang on, hang on. If it doesn't matter, then why did Paul write this whole letter? And didn't Paul say back in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, that if anyone accepted circumcision, they would be obliged to keep the whole law, they would be severed from Christ, they would have fallen from grace? Yeah. So, so how can he say now that it doesn't matter? Well, what Paul is saying is that it's not the actual bit of skin that's important, right? Circumcision is nothing in and of itself. But what is important is why you're doing it. Right, the Galatians were about to get circumcised because the Judaizers were telling them that they needed to get circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. If Galatians accepted circumcision as being necessary for salvation, as being part of coming under the law of Moses, then they were rejecting the sufficiency of the cross. They were going under the law, which is based on doing, not on believing. They could not keep the law, and so they would come under its curse. On the other hand, if someone were to be circumcised for medical reasons, then it doesn't mean anything. If someone is circumcised for cultural reasons, it probably doesn't mean anything either, though you've got to be a little bit more careful there. Some people may be circumcised for the sake of mission or as a result of a terrible accident. It doesn't mean anything. Having that bit of skin doesn't save you any more than not having it. Paul himself was circumcised. Didn't help him get saved, didn't stop him from getting saved. The Gentile Christians, they were not circumcised. Didn't help them get saved, didn't stop them from getting saved. It's exactly the same. Whether or not you've got your foreskin doesn't matter in and of itself. What matters, Paul says, is a new creation. Now, what does he mean by new creation? Uh, Paul had said something very similar back in chapter 5, verse 6. There he said that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And if he's saying something parallel here, then... The new creation is God's creative work in us by His Spirit, giving us that faith in Christ, therefore giving us that new life, giving us that faith in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, and then transforming us by that Spirit, step by step, to being people who show that fruit of love. Faith and love worked in us by the Spirit in the new creation. That's, that's a normal Christian life, isn't it? That's the new creative work of the Spirit, giving us faith in Christ and transforming us to love. And that is what really matters. Friends, when we look at our lives and our ministries, let us make sure we keep that perspective. There are many things that could fill our horizons, so many distractions, 
So many things we can do, both good and bad. In the end, what really counts is the new creation. In the end, faith in Christ alone and growing in holiness and love, that is what matters. There are so many other things that are of no significance either way, except if it leads someone away from Christ and growing in, and away from growing godly love. Ah, then it's affecting things that actually do matter. And then we need to take action, like Paul does in this letter. Next, Paul shares his prayer with us. And he prays a blessing in verse 10 for all who walk by this rule, for all who, like Paul, boast in the cross of Christ and not in the world, who trust in Christ and who are being changed by the Spirit into his likeness. And his prayer in verse 10 is for peace and mercy. In Isaiah 54, which Paul first referenced back in chapter 4, God promised the true Israel mercy, or in our translation, steadfast love and peace. Now listen to the words of that beautiful promise. It says this, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. I, I, so knowing God's promise, Paul prays that this would be a reality in the lives of those who trust in Jesus. And sisters and brothers, if you and I trust in Jesus and him alone for our salvation, that then we are part of the true Israel, the Israel of God. We are citizens of the Jerusalem that is above, Zion City that we will sing about at the end of the service. And that promise is for us. The mountains may depart, hills may be removed, but God will never leave us. His mercy will not fail us. His covenant of peace to promise to remember our sins no more will always be there. And so like Paul, we can confidently pray for each other that we will always know God's mercy and peace. Meanwhile, we still face tribulations of all kinds in this world and Paul knows that more than anyone. And so the final thing he shows us are his scars. He says in verse 17, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. If our dating is right, Paul had been stoned and left for dead by the Jews in one of the Galatian cities just a year or two before this letter was written. Paul had the scars of his persecution, and he wasn't ashamed of them. He knew Christ had suffered for him, and now, in his own body, he has the evidence that he is willing to suffer for Jesus. The Judaizers, they wanted to mark the bodies of their converts with circumcision. For Paul, the scars in his body that mark him faithful, sorry, Paul has scars in his body that mark him for being faithful to Christ. Surely the Galatians can see that he is genuine and stop giving him all these problems. Friends, most of us who are here today don't have physical scars from being tortured for Christ. But many have other scars. You may have emotional scars from rejection by family or friends for your commitment to Jesus. 
You may have lifestyle scars, things you can no longer do though you like to do them because you seek first the kingdom of God. You may have career scars. You may be at that level in your career when you could have been at that level because, well, you prioritize ministry and bring your family to the knowledge of God. Don't be ashamed of your scars. Like Paul, you bear the mark of Christ. While Paul has shown us his heart, his, his boast, his perspective, his prayers, and now he's shown us his scars. He's also exposed the heart of the Judaizers and what motivates them. Brothers and sisters, let us hold fast to the true gospel, but not only that, let us do it in the right way and for the right reasons. Like the Apostle Paul, let us be faithful servants of Christ. Paul concludes the letter in verse 18 with a blessing. It is a prayer that the grace that comes to us through Jesus would be with the spirit of the Galatian believers. Because in the end, that's what they need, God's grace. and That's what we, we always need. It is grace that saved them. It is grace that will keep them from falling for the false teachings of the Judaizers. It is grace that would bring them home. And that's the same for us. That grace is never presumed upon. Paul makes every effort to persuade the Galatians to be faithful to the gospel. But in the end, he, he prays. Because in the end, their perseverance will come from God himself. And as he prayed for the Galatians, so we pray for each other. And for all our brothers and sisters in St. Mary's and beyond, who have heard the message of this letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.